This is another topical message. Instead of moving on through the book of James, Randy will continue in the book of James, but I am going to uh, be preaching a sermon on fear, a sermon about fear, and really it's going to be addressed in two different directions for two different groups of people. The first group of people people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the message is that fear is good, fear is helpful, fear should be embraced as a first step towards knowing Christ. For those who know Jesus, the message is that perfect love casts out fear, and that because of Christ, we should live lives that are remarkably free from fear. I'm going to begin with a bunch of quotes. It is remarkable to see how completely in our culture fear is something that we've rejected societally. Our country is de facto universalist. And really all that means in simple terms is that when anyone dies, no matter what their life was like, every funeral says, they're looking down on us from above. You know they got their wings now. They're, they're up there in heaven. Wait, I'm, I'm pretty sure I knew that guy. He was really unfaithful to his wife the entire time they were together. He shot like four people and he wasn't sad about it. Well, you know, we all have our stumbles. Wait, what? People who reject Jesus in word and in deed are portrayed in our country as going to heaven when they die. It is incredibly rare to hear anyone talking about hell. You know in the Bible who talked a lot about hell? Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about hell in the Bible. So here's some quotes on fear. Some of these people will be familiar, others may be less so. Fear is the main source of superstition and one of the main sources of cruelty. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. Bertrand Russell. Fears are educated into us and can, if we wish, be educated out. Carl Augustus Menninger. Of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. Rudyard Kipling. Ignorance is the parent of fear, Herman Melville. Fear, false evidence appearing real, unknown, meaning internet meme that's very popular. Who sees all beings in his own self and his own self in all beings loses all fear. Isa Upanishad, Hindu scripture. By the way, a Hindu scripture, seeing oneself in all people, it sounds similar to some of the heresy that was embraced under Mother Teresa, that Jesus Christ lives in everyone, regardless of whether or not they're a Christian. The, this is one that my kids knew. They saw the quotes before. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Fear is pain arising from the anticipation of evil. Aristotle. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Joseph Campbell, 
who is the main influence of George Lucas, who wrote Fears, The Path to the Dark Side in Star Wars. Frank Herbert has Fear is the Mind Killer in the Dune series. Gandhi said the enemy is fear. We think it is hate, but it is fear. Marie Curie said nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Confucius, if you look into your own heart and you find nothing wrong there, what is there to worry about? What is there to fear? The fact that in broken, heretical, as in error-filled, evangelical churches, New Age, Eastern religion, and other false teachings have become so popular is evident in the way that we think about fear. Fear is something culturally that we seek to deliver lost people from. But that's not what the Bible teaches about fear. Proverbs 1, 7 and 9, 10 both say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 1, 7 goes on to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's not a good way to influence people. If they reject what you're saying and then you tell them biblically that means they're a fool, then they're just going to be mad at you and think they're not going to make any progress. Draw more flies with honey, that's in the Bible. So, When someone is lost, it is very important for them to understand that the fear of the Lord is a healthy state for them to be in. You cannot understand the good news of the gospel until you understand and appreciate the bad news. That we are sinners. That we are sinners who deserve hell. Our primary passages will be two passages. The first in Matthew chapter 10. The second in 1 John 4. They're both very familiar passages. They both talk about fear. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. These are the words of, the, of Jesus. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep... In the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how, are you, how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. 
What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is pointing them to an eternal perspective. Last week we looked at gratitude and thankfulness. Jesus says, if fathers who are not good give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Father send the Holy Spirit to his children as a comfort, as a guide to give them power? Also again and again in all the passages we read last week, the Holy Spirit comes brings joy, drives out fear, replaces it with love, and that love creates the conditions to love both our enemies and everyone else we encounter. Jesus is speaking to people who will, especially the closest group, face not just oppression, persecution, beatings as he promised, but face and receive death. And he's telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What's the worst that can happen to you? Because of his story, because of what happened to him, it makes the Jim Elliot quote particularly famous when he says, it is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's speaking about treasures stored up in heaven, but it's from a man who was a missionary to the Aka Indians who was speared to death and killed by them at a very young age. Jesus is saying for his disciples to not be afraid, but what does verse 28 say? Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, don't ever be afraid. No one should ever be afraid. Fear is the mind killer. No. Nope. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again and again, if you examine periods in history when there's been tremendous revival, if you examine periods in history when people responded to the word of God being preached and said, I'm undone. I need this. I repent. I don't want to live in sin. I want to follow Jesus. What must I do? They knew that they were evil. They knew that they didn't have peace. They were filled with godly fear. And it's sad and sick and broken in our culture that today the success of liars has permeated our culture so much that that word will, for the most part, again, in our culture, we're talking about the United States in 2019, fall on deaf ears when we preach those words. And the reason is that people have been taught from childhood that they're great. There's nothing to be afraid of. God loves you. God loves you because you're special. He made you special. Don't let anybody tell you different. And no one talks about the problem of sin. No one talks about the fact that you have made yourself an enemy of God, that you have hated God with your life, and that as a result, you deserve hell forever. Well, that's pretty uncomfortable. I don't Why do we... 
I've heard lots of people complain just in talking to me in my life about hellfire and brimstone preachers. I've heard almost no hellfire and brimstone preachers in my entire life. Very rarely have I ever heard that kind of sermon. You know what I've heard a lot of in churches? Unlimited positive regard. It's a dangerous thing to look at an entire congregation of people and say, Jesus loves all of you. Well, in which theological sense do you mean that? Because there are people there who, if they die right there in the sermon, are going to be in hell forever. And they need to know that and have a fear of God that understands where they are between them and God so that they can come to know Jesus, repent, be forgiven of their sins, and then live in the lavish love of Christ. But we don't start there in our lost state. That's not where we begin. 1 John 4 is the other long passage that we're going to examine. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is his love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Wait, wait. We're on this good roll about love. What is this for judgment? What? How'd that sneak in there? Guys, this is such a basic part of Christian theology. It's so fundamental, but it's so broken because people have bought the lies of Confucius and Russell and Campbell and our culture teaches that we're all pretty good. If you ask people, that's one of the reasons that the opportunity in Lonsdale to me is so exciting. Because as broken as our culture is, as broken as Knoxville, Tennessee is, I feel like you're going to find more people in Lonsdale who will admit that they need a Savior and that they're not good than you will in Farragut. Now, it doesn't mean there's not the same more people in Farragut who are going to hell than in Lonsdale. It just means that people might be closer to knowing. I, I, yeah, I do feel a little awkward about trying to tell you I'm a good person. I get the opportunity to talk to people a lot about whether or not they have a church they like. That's a pretty easy thing, even in this culture, to say, if you say, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? People are like, whoa, what's happening? Are you giving me a tract? If you say, like, hey, you lived here like four years, you got a church you like? People view that kind of like, you like Tennessee football? Do you like the Braves and baseball? It's just kind of like, oh, okay, it's another cultural thing. I'm in the South. Okay, cool. Guys, the people who lie to me routinely, who just straight up lie, is everybody in West Knoxville. Oh, I mean, you know, we're still, we're still looking. We're, we're church shopping. That's one of the ones I hear a lot. 
we're church shopping from someone who moved here from Atlanta four years ago? No, you're not. No, you're not. You're really bad at shopping. Do you guys have a sofa in your living room? Oh, no, we're sitting on the floor right now. For four years, you're couch shopping? No, you get a couch. You want a couch, you get a couch. If you want a church, you get a church. If you want to be known by the body, you're in a body. If you want to grow, you're committed to a body. Oh, no, we've been, we're looking around. They're lying to themselves, so then they lie to you. Now we're church shopping. You know who doesn't lie to me that often? People in Lonsdale. Some guys just came and, and dropped some furniture off from Opie Jenkins. I said, man, guys, you all have a church you like? They both said no, and I feel kind of bad about it. <laughs> that was real honesty. No, I don't go to church. I probably should. I kind of know I should. Don't go to church. Well, do I want them to come to church? Definitely, absolutely, yes. But I think they're closer to doing well spiritually than somebody who's going to church and going to hell. Because they know that there's something that's missing. They know there's something not happening there. But someone who goes to church, who doesn't know Jesus, who has never repented of their sins, who's living a life that dishonors God, can't look forward to the day of judgment. Because on that day, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will go to hell. 1 John 4, verse 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I rarely, rarely, rarely encounter someone who's afraid that they're not saved and they're concerned about it enough to try to talk to me about it, who when we go through what it means, isn't saved. I'll, I can say that again. It's a little complicated. I rarely have a conversation with someone who's looking for what we call assurance of salvation, where when we go over what that means, it turns out they're not a Christian. Guys, that's what we call selection bias in science, right? The people who are asking me to make sure that they're saved, the reason they're asking me is because they care a lot about understanding the Bible, understanding Jesus, understanding their relationship with him. But you know one of the easiest ways, one of the easiest ways biblically to tell someone whether or not they know Jesus? It has to do with looking at their life and looking at whether or not they love people looking at whether or not they love people with the love of Jesus. We can often stop with the examination of the spouse if somebody's married. Okay? That might be enough. But guys, is it easier to love your spouse? Maybe don't answer out loud. Is it easier to love your spouse than the most annoying person at work? I would say that for very few of us is our spouse the enemy in the way that we have enemies, real people who bother us constantly. 
But we're just over. We do not want to be around. We do not want to talk to. There are worse people for almost all of us who are married. If not, like, let's do some marriage counseling. There are harder people to love than your spouse. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to love them. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to love that person. The person you're thinking of, you're like, ooh, but what about them? Ooh, no, not them. Surely not, Lord, not them. Yes, them. The early church, after being promised persecution, has the example of the first martyrdom of Stephen, who follows the perfect example of Christ in praying for the people who are killing him. Oh, but they said some mean things about me. When we compare ourselves to the persecuted church, all of us should feel pretty bad about ever whining about anything. Um, I was trying to share gospel with my coworker, and some people were mean to me. Really? So how would you compare that to pastors in China who get locked up and beaten? Well, I mean, okay, okay, right, so compared to that. Well, guys, who are we supposed to compare ourselves to? I said the last week, this very last week, Bob's giving me a look that says he remembers. Comparison is the enemy of joy. Okay? But who are we supposed to all be comparing ourselves to? Jesus. That's exactly right. Jesus says for his followers, don't be afraid. And for those who are not his followers, he says, be afraid. Do not fear the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But we as Christians can look forward to the judgment. We can look forward to our death whenever it comes or his return, which may come before we die. But the picture of his return to earth, it sounds sweet we sang about it and we're looking forward to it. Guys, anybody you know who doesn't know Jesus, it's going to be awful for them. They're going to literally, the Bible says, want the mountains, the rocks, the earth to cover over their bodies out of fear. Righteous fear, justified fear, correct fear. Because when Jesus comes again, he's coming in judgment. How do we tie that together? I want us to recognize how common New Age, Eastern religion, and then Russell is just part of the, the foolish philosophers who rejected Christianity, I guess. Young, Randy would say the therapeutic gospel, and I agree with him. How common it is for people in America who are going to hell to say, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. You know, when the Great Awakening happened, there's some things about that time period that are just awful. Awful. There are things you can read about the way people treated. I mean, think about slavery. There's horrible and awful things that happened during that time period. The amount of drunkenness, the amount of alcoholism, how much people drank during that time is like, sorry, we don't have Coca-Cola. Got to drink liquor every night until I get angry and start beating people. People getting in fights and stabbing people. People, horrible things. You know what happened when those people heard about Jesus and the coming judgment of God? They fell on their faces. 
They said, I need rescue. I'm a sinner. We need as Christians to be people who are bold enough to tell people that they're going to hell that they're not good. That they're not good. That fear is the right response. I think many of you guys saw the really tragic story here in Knoxville in the last couple weeks on I-40 of the car that was going the wrong way. The person who was killed who was driving the right way on the road and they just got smashed by a car that was driving the wrong way on 40. People all around us are going the wrong way. In fact, biblically we know that there's more of them than there are of us and that will be true even when we try to say America is a Christian nation. Well, okay. America is a post-Christian nation. We have a really amazing Christian heritage that we should be thankful for. There were many Christians for much of America's history. But the narrow road is what leads to Christ. The narrow road is the one that we're on. And we shouldn't be surprised when we're persecuted. We should know that Jesus promised it's coming. And if you're not encountering, perse encountering persecution, it could be because you're not being bold in the way you're supposed to be in telling people the truth about the desperation of their condition. They are driving the wrong way. It will result in their death and destruction and much worse than their physical death. It will result in the death of their soul. There's someone in my office in the last two weeks who I can tell has a problem with heroin. And given that people I care about have died of a heroin overdose in the last year, that's really sad to me. The person who I sat across from who I talked to about this, I said, listen, heroin is a really big deal. It's a really big problem. I want you to get clean. I don't want you to die. But you know what I told them more than that? I want you to know Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus. I don't want you to be tied up in your constant pattern right now of lying. I don't want you to embrace sin. I want you to come to know Jesus. <coughs> Jesus says, fear those who, kill, uh, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear him. In a Trinitarian sense, those who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But as Christians, we have fear driven out of us because of his love. What does a fearless life look like? A fearless life is marked by love of others. Perfect love casts out fear. It overflows from us. And a part of that is that we find that we love our enemies. Who do we not love as a Christian? Nobody. Don't conflate trust and forgiveness in that journey. Why well, can't love so-and-so? Oh, you, you, you have to love them. Well, but look at what they did. And Okay, I think you're saying that you can't trust them. The Bible never commands us to trust anyone other than God, who, who will never let us down and who always deserves our trust. We're not commanded to trust people. We are commanded to forgive people. And we are commanded to love people. Which also means that that's a choice, right? The active agency of this 
is imperative in Scripture. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What have we done about that? We try to narrow the definition of brother till it's not that many people. Must love his brother. Someone who you haven't chosen to unfollow on social media because they stress you out. Someone who is nice. Someone who you enjoy having dinner with. Love them. Sure, love them. But love everyone. A fearless life is a life of love for everyone. And it involves speaking the truth in love. And for us, in our culture, the most uncomfortable truth to speak is that apart from Christ, all of us deserve hell. And the people we love and care about who think that they're good aren't good at all. That they are going to hell. That they deserve hell. And that before they know it, life is over and they'll be in hell. It is, I said at the beginning, our, our culture is de facto universalist. I've been asked by friends who love Jesus to do their funeral when they die. Guys, I'm looking forward to that, honestly. It's kind of sweet and wonderful. They have a legacy of service to the Lord. I know that we won't be mourning in the way the pagans do for them. Of course we'll be mourning, we miss them. But man, what a blessing to know that we'll see them forever. We'll be with them forever in the presence of God because of Jesus. Have you guys gone to a funeral of somebody who, as far as you know, now, importantly, unless you are like literally holding their hand as they die and they look at you and say, I renounce Jesus and spit at you and then die. It, I, I don't feel comfortable saying, well, I know this person's in hell. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But I'll never forget people who I know, who I talked to about Jesus two weeks before they died, and they said, no, absolutely not. No, I don't want that. I reject that. And they died. Hearing people say, oh, they're looking down on us from the clouds, was hard. It was hard to hear. It was painful to hear. Because my best guess is that they're in hell. Guys, on this broad road, part of the reason we don't have urgency is because we, we want to buy into the delusion that everybody we care about gets to go to heaven. I was surprised. It's kind of in a feelings culture. Maybe shouldn't be surprising. But you know, have you ever seen the earnestness of a kid asking you about animals going to heaven? Guys, Lonzo Community Church believes what about animals going to heaven? Anybody know? It's not in the Bible. We don't have a position. If you want to believe the dogs are in heaven, I mean, okay. I don't... But if you want me to tell you that I know doctrine in heaven, I won't. Because I can't know that. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Okay? But look at their eyes. They're so... I can't, can't say that. Why do people want that so much, though? Why do people desperately want that? Because they love the dog. They love the animal. Guys, another example of the sickness of our culture. It's not wrong to love animals, but we should love people so much more. People have souls. We will all be somewhere forever. And if we see people around us, here's, here's a fact. I mean, some people, some people say it openly. I guess I've seen that meme a lot. I like cats more than people, or I love my dog more than people. Okay? Can you tell me all dogs go to heaven? I can't. I can tell you that all people who die apart from Christ go to hell. 
And if we love them, we should be urging them to not run away from the God-honoring fear that is the beginning of wisdom. The recognition that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And guys, your testimony should include that. That wisdom came to you, that the Holy Spirit called to you when you first grasped your sinfulness and what that means for you. I deserve hell when I die. But we have the great love of a perfect Savior who took our punishment upon himself so that we might love others and care enough about them to even with our enemies let them know that the free gift of Jesus is for them. Not free in the sense that he paid an enormous price, but free in the sense that there's not one thing they can do to earn it, to buy it, or deserve it. That is our privilege, and that is the command that we have from him. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a culture where people aren't afraid. People think that they're going to live forever. People think that we all get to go to heaven no matter what. We know those things aren't true. We thank you that we don't live in fear of punishment, not because we are good, but because you are good. Because you transformed us. Because your blood, your precious blood, covered over our sin. Lord, we desire to walk in obedience. We desire to be bold in sharing the good news. We know that persecution will come when we speak and preach the truth. We pray that we'll be prepared for it. We pray that we will be people who love enough to hear no, that we love enough to be mocked, that we love enough to be scorned. We don't want to go to any funerals of people we care about and say, I don't know if they ever heard the gospel. We want them to hear the truth. Lord, draw them to yourself. Give them hearts that are ready to be afraid, to know their sinfulness, to know what they deserve, to know that they are not good, and give us an opportunity to tell them that despite the truth of that, that you stand ready to forgive. We thank you for your great love. May it overflow from within our lives in both our words and our actions. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.